Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. We're eventually going to need some kind of variations on Everybody Loves Raymond and whatever other Mort Cider episode titles we have because it's halfway into the first season of their careers and I'm already repeating stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I do not have the creative, creative genius to keep this running. Like this podcast has run for seven years. So I'm afraid of the amount of runway we have where I have to continue to put, uh, put some clever titles. You do inject some Shane Wright in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the true reason to, to win the draft lottery is give us more content puns. Just so we can have an episode title where it's like the right stuff. That's good. Like, yeah, we're ready. The price is right. That's good. Yeah, yeah. keep it going. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> write that down. <laughs> <laughs> write that down. Pun intended. No, no, <laughs> no. It wasn't even intended. This is my issue. <laughs> it's <laughs> on the right track. Two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, that's for maybe one he gets like a suspension there, or something. Is there anyone? Is, is there any anyone with the last name wrong? Hold on, we could we could work it off here. How many years have the Wings missed the playoffs? Six. Six wrongs make a right. It's gonna be awkward <laughs> when they draft Slavkovsky. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have some other things to come up with here. Not Slackingovsky. Well, <laughs> this episode hasn't gone off the rails. I started us off the rails. Uh, so. <laughs> Without any further ado, uh, here to talk to you about Red Wings hockey, the world of hockey, and uh, as usual, geopolitics. I'm one of your hosts of the Winged Wheel podcast, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Um, On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, uh, we are going to be chatting with you about the Detroit Red Wings and last night's really intriguing win over the Carolina Hurricanes for more than just the OT goal, but the OT goal was, you know, the highlight of it all. Uh, we'll be talking to you about some statistics that are really fun and at the same time really horrifying. Uh, trade deadline with respect to the Red Wings. Some more Red Wings names are popping up on trade boards league-wide. Uh, one, Philip Zadina, uh, came up in talks today. <laughs> Wonder what Brad thinks about that one. <laughs> uh, and then we will be also be talking about um, the spillover from... Russia's invasion of Ukraine and how that's affecting uh, the rest of the hockey world in terms of sanctions. We have news from the IIHF, NHL, CHL, various agents, reporters. A lot has happened and we are like one week into this thing. So um, like we mentioned before, that's having a big, big impact already. Before that, the Jamie Daniels Foundation is an organization we support. And what's our favorite way to support them? Take a guess, Evan discounted red wings tickets that's absolutely right discounted <laughs> you cut straight to the chase there's no sexiness there but nope. uh wing wheel podcast night at the lca is an opportunity for you to buy discounted red wings tickets uh and in addition to that what you do is you get access to a pre-game event at little caesar's arena hosted by yours truly uh the winged wheel podcast with special guest ken daniels maybe mickey redmond prashant Iyer will be there uh, and some other uh, special guests will come through we're going to be recording a pre-game live episode from Little Caesars Arena, same as last time. We'll have food out for you guys. Uh, there's going to be a bar open to buy drinks, alcoholic or otherwise. Uh, we're going to have shirts, swag, merch, giveaways, tons of stuff uh, for you to grab. 
We're going to be seated um, primarily in the gondola or lower bowl, depending on what your preference is. You'll have a winged wheel podcast rep in either area at any given time. And then we also have some upper bowl seats scattered around there. And again, those tickets are discounted. And then after the game, there is a after party slash post game meetup location to be determined. Just finalizing those details, food, drinks, more swag, more stuff to give away. And most importantly, a portion of the proceeds from every ticket benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Um, and the last time that we did it, everyone raised about five grand in a single night. So we're at over $10,000 on the year for the Jamie Daniels Foundation. We're hoping to hit 20. We have more wings on the board stuff, wings, money on the board uh, stuff coming for you. But this event is a great, great opportunity to really get the most out of a Red Wings experience and support a good cause. Uh, link is in the description of this episode as well as wingedwheelpodcast.com slash blog. Check it out there to buy your tickets. If you have any questions, give us a shout on Twitter. If you have any criticisms, just DM Evan directly. I'll be sure to read it as soon as you send it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Screenshot, open messenger, Evan, yeah. this is for you. Okay, the Detroit Red Wings uh, played one of the best teams in the league Sorry, they're on a tear of playing some of the best teams in the league. They had Colorado and then Toronto, which they led in a combined 15 goals. Um, lost by three both games, remarkably, which is actually insane to say out loud. That's a win. Yeah. <laughs> is it, though? <laughs> as close as you can get while letting in 15 goals across two games. And then the Red Wings continued that by playing Carolina uh, last night on Tuesday night, where they came out the winners. 4-3 in overtime. Walk us through that game. It was uncharacteristic of the Red Wings because the Red Wings were actually decidedly the better team throughout regulation and in overtime. And uh, I think I saw, I, I know I saw a stat. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but basically in terms of chances, that was actually the most, the biggest margin of uh, how badly the Canes have been outchanced in any game this season. Which is really saying something because, again, Carolina is one of the best teams in the league. And by that metric, they just had their worst game of the year against the Red Wings. And that was largely because of how the Red Wings were playing. And, you know, it, not to take too much away from Detroit, this probably, I don't know Carolina's schedule, but it probably felt like a trap game on their schedule. And it happens. But when those happen, the weaker team has to come in and capitalize. And the Red Wings did so, decidedly so. Um, yeah, overall, it was a fantastic game. Bit of a sleepy start, but when you're playing a team like Carolina, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, anytime where they have a game against a top team and you're like, oh, over the first two periods, they had like 25 good minutes. I'm like, I have to put that in perspective and remember this is the same Red Wings team that's led in 15 goals over mm -hmm. two games. So 25 good minutes over 40 is fantastic. The start to the game was great. Philip Zadina was buzzing. As is tradition, beat the goalie, but not the net. Slid it through um, Ranta's pads and, and passed the net, funny enough. Um, but he looked great to start the game. The top line had a couple moments. The power play had a couple moments really early on where they looked fantastic. And then, On the rare occasions, they actually gained the zone. Yes. And then, you know, sleepy is the right word. But there was quite a lot to like. To start the game, Zadina got moved to a line with uh, Valeno and Rasmussen, with Nemesnikov coming back into the lineup and taking Zadina's spot on the top line. Um, additionally, Letty stayed with Sider in the first pairing. So we'll chat about that more later. Some of that might be line optimization. 
I also think a lot of that might have to do with um, getting those guys some ice time and exposure because they're top trade deadline pieces. But just to talk about Zadina right now, moving them down to the third line didn't slow them down at all that game. Nothing slows Zadina down. It's just... Except for Philip Zadina. (laughs) Oh, he never slows down. It's just how badly does he miss the chances he gets? Does he miss the net by three feet or does he hit the goalie in the arm? There's... Always that variance. The arm is a good game, actually. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a strong game for him at this point. But no, um, overall, like it's hard to talk about Zadina that game without talking about that whole line because that line looked good. Yeah, Valeno, Rasmussen, and Zadina were playing very well off each other, especially in the third period. They had a few tic tac toes and a bunch of great A chances and a goal. Uh, Rasmussen scoring on the uh, breakaway, which. You know, for a third line, I know they're not going to get the toughest matchups against Carolina, but it's still a third line going up against one of the best teams in the league. And Michael Rasmussen, who was drafted in 2017, is the oldest player on that line, which is not insignificant. Oh, my God. Feels like we drafted Rasmussen. thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Rasmussen will be turning 23 this year if he hasn't already. Oh, my God. Wow. (laughs) He's only, oh my God. He's the oldest player on that line. It's weird because he's already played eight years in the NHL. Yeah. You got a feel for him though. <laughs> the dude's been in the NHL for a long time. He is a seasoned vet and he's 23 years old. <laughs> the good thing is he looks it. He looks crazy. He does. He acts like a weirdo too. Like how veterans do, they just stop caring. Like just grows up the hair. Someone posted uh, um, a picture of him walking onto a plane with just this giant bag of cashews. Like that's only stuff <laughs> that's like a real dad move. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of shit Mark Stahl Have you would seen do. Seen how much those cashews cost at the airport? I'm I know. Home. I was like, what a flex, jeez. But it's good. Every line needs a dad, and despite the fact that he's only like six months older than Philip Zadina, it still works. Can I tell a funny story? That's totally maybe only very slightly related to that that's it's an improvement so when we were coming back from mexico once and i was so hungover like i i was needed a wheelbarrow basically <laughs> to be carried through the airport and I, the only thing i could eat were these peanut m&ms i like could not keep anything else down so i'm i i bought these at the airport they were like 25 bucks us like it was the stupidest thing ever but i couldn't eat anything else we get on the plane. I'm sitting there about to pull up my M&Ms and they go over the announcement and they said, due to a uh, severe oh. allergy of one of the f- uh, people on the flight, there will be no peanut products served or allowed on this flight. And I thought I was going to die. Oh my God. Needless to say, I almost did. <laughs> it was your, Part it was, of me left that airplane. <laughs> <laughs> it was he, you or the, per- or the steward. Somebody steward, was dying. Yeah. Some people sneak away to the bathroom to join the Mile High Club or to light a cigarette. Evan's in there with flight attendants banging on the door just so he can crush a pack they, of he had un- They're like, we're going to have unexpected turbulence. And they like put the seatbelt sign on and I got up because I needed to throw up. And the lady was like, you need to sit back down. I was like, I'm going in that bathroom and it'll be the best thing for everybody on this flight. <laughs> yeah. They gave me a ginger ale after because they oh, heard how nice. horrible it was. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the, the steward in the back. Did he just drop an M&M in his ginger ale? <laughs> Anyhow, um, first of all, thank you. You're welcome. That is, again, completely in line with your brand. <laughs> Secondly, um, yeah, that Rasmussen line, it, it did culminate in a goal for him. He didn't open scoring. I think Rowney's goal came first. Um, but yeah. that was Rasmussen got a great pass from Osterley 
who fed it to Rasmussen. And got then, a great pass from Zadina. Zadina, that's right. And Rasmussen- Every Zadina point, we have to point out now. Yeah, we have to be so obnoxious about that. But Rasmussen's move on that, on his break, was really good. And it was it was clever and tricky and not something that I've seen him do in a little while. Because his go-to move has been this he's thing done. where he- He's done it this year. He's done it this year. But what he usually does is this really cool move where he just fires it with no power into the goalie's chest. And <laughs> no, that's his- two-on-one move not his breakaway move right 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 understand the difference ryan so explain the move that he does because you were talking about it yesterday because it's it's not a move and it looks like nothing and it looks like a bad goal to the goalie every time it happens but rasmussen has been doing this since we've been watching him going into his draft year and in junior where because of his length and his reach and his weight he very rarely is going to get a, a very clean breakaway just because he doesn't have the foot speed to pull away from defenders. But even when he does, he always kind of leans either into the defenseman that's on him or leans like he's going to pull it to the backhand. So basically he's showing I'm going to go to the glove side. And then all he does is while in stride, as soon as that goalie just looks a little out of their butterfly like they're gonna move they're leaning they're even thinking about they're moving he fires it right under the right pad right in that triangle between the foot the stick and the pad and when you do that successfully in stride without and the thing that makes us super successful uh with rasmussen is he doesn't um telegraph that at all yeah he doesn't sell i'm shooting whatsoever there's no backswing there's pow when you're making that shot power does not matter no is just get that puck on the net before the goalie realizes what's happening. And if you hit that spot, they cannot stop it. They're frozen. Yeah. So, and because of his size and reach, it makes it a little easier for him because obviously the puck's further away from his body than most. So it's harder for the goalie to read, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's the only successful move I've ever seen him have on a breakaway or in a situation like that where he's got a defenseman leaning on him. He has nothing else in the tool bag. But that one tool he has is super effective. So- As long as every breakaway or partial breakaway he gets is coming down the left side, he's money. So Carter Rowney did open scoring um, with a nice redirection front. For a second, it looked like goal interference, but upon replay, you could see that it wasn't. Rasmussen gave Detroit the lead, and they went into the third with the lead. Um, Jesper Fast tied it up seven minutes in, and then Jordan Stahl, with about four minutes left, um, well, the puck bounced off and went in, and you were like, ah, man, hard-fought game. That's going to be- thought they gave- Oh, yeah. No, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Never mind. Hard fought game. And you're like, man, that sucks. That the Red Wings are going to lose this one. None other than Dylan Larkin. Um, who was the defenseman who? Brett Brady. Pesci. Brady Shea. Was it? The one who coughed it up. I think it was Shea. Yeah. It just. Skeege. I could be wrong. Did you just say Skeege? Yeah. It's Shea. I know. Oh, you're being funny. I thought it was Skeggy. <laughs> it's Skeggy. Yeah. Actually. It's Skeggy. You should say Skeggy. Okay. Yeah. It's Rowenski, actually. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> April 9th, everybody reduced tickets. Oh my God, they're playing Columbus. Yo, oh, boy. my God. Can we, can we get uh, Evan in the broadcast booth to say yeah. Rowenski's name? Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just every time he gets the puck. And Oliver Bjorkstrand, if he's a boy too. Warensky. <laughs> Mick can take the night Segment off. is brought to you by Hooked on Phonics. <laughs> uh, Dylan Larkin uh, took the puck or, you know, Got the puck after a Brady Shea turnover, tied it up 38 seconds after Jordan Stahl's uh, goal, and that was that was huge for Detroit. That meant they officially were back in the comeback to t- territory into overtime. And oh man, do I love OT! Whenever you see 
Cider, Raymond, Larkin on the ice, you know something's going to happen. And they they honestly always do. There's a stat in a second that we'll read out to you that will kind of further that a little bit more. But Lucas Raymond, um, Lucas Raymond ended up netting the OT winner off of a play that was, believe it or not, we're going to give a lot of credit to Moritz Cider here. I don't know if we've done that a lot. So who? Yeah, Moritz Sider on this play got his um, 35th assist of the year, 40th point, and that continued his point streak to seven games. Uh, uh, defense been rec- rookie defenseman record for the Red Wings? That's absolutely right. Dylan Larkin, I should say earlier, his goal extended his point streak to 10 games. Um, as as the wise Rowan has said from the start, German Lidstrom. Sider <laughs> <laughs> um, had the puck at the point, and you pointed this out, Brad, and actually quite a few of you did. His body and his stick and his eyes all framed. I'm feeding this back to Larkin, who's opposite him at the point. All until the very last second where he turned his stick around. His body was still framing yeah. pass, but because he, just, he wasn't trying to get a lot of power on it, turned a stick, threw it on net to Bertuzzi in front slash right at the goalie. Bertuzzi did a good job of getting at it and, um, you know, working on the rebound. The puck coughed up to Raymond, who is perfect at being in the right place at the right time buried it and had the most amped up tuned up volume to a thousand celebration i've ever seen in my life his face was just pure chaos it was every emotion all at once he was just trying to open his eyes and his mouth as wide as he could (laughs) and the red wings won it it was a fantastic play through and through and it started off by a very very smart and aware moritz cider as most plays with the red wings do the deception on that that is Arguably the biggest strength of his game, at least when he has the puck. I would say strength is the biggest strength of his game. Yes. Because he did throw an ass hit that game. Yes. As Dimitri pointed out. I actually missed it, but uh, he threw a reverse hit with his ass. And that's why he leads all rookie defensemen in ass. <laughs> I think it's. I think that's beyond rookie defensemen. That's a point. cheeky move. Evan. Oh, Evan. <laughs> There's no cracks in his armor. Evan already made the joke, Brad. Move on. <laughs> Trying to give our listeners their money's worth, Ryan. Uh, for listeners who don't know, there is a graphic that said Moritz Sider leads all rookie defensemen. And um, it was supposed to say assist, but the ticker was like, didn't move or someone grabbed the screenshot. So it just said ass. <laughs> and we've all ran with Good it. Good for him. Yeah. Good for him. That's what we should all strive to be. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the deception, you're right. That's a massive strength in his game. And it's not only those things on the blue line. Um, it's the way he breaks out of his zone. He does it everywhere on the ice. He does it everywhere on the ice. Like he does everything everywhere on the ice. Something else I pointed out early in the game is watch Mort Sider when he has to make a decision with the puck on the blue line, especially when he's under pressure. He has these like one quarter to one half second pauses that are almost imperceivable where he hesitates or takes an extra step or, you know, does one extra stick handle and he finds the gap to make a pass through a defender that way. Is it something to write home about every time it happens? No. Good defensemen should be doing that. Is it something that the Red Wings have been missing for years? Yeah. Since about 2012. I wonder what happened there. <laughs> the Red Wings too often have either coughed the puck there. You have to look, look no further back than, you know, Philip Peronik against Toronto. Like that's something that has happened all too often. That's a pretty extreme example, but still. Not all that uncommon though. Or, yeah. Or... They just avoid those passes because they don't know how to create the space. The moment there's a body there, they think they have to go the other way. And it's not a bad intuition if you can't make the play, but Moritz Sider can create seams where there wasn't one. 
And being able to create that scene for yourself is such a supremely valuable skill that gets overlooked. And he does it through deception that happens so, so quickly. And he does it with his eyes. He does it with his body, his stick, his feet, everything. It's good. If only he could do the intro for his own show, though. <laughs> Man, the Mojo show is a revelation. Kudos kudos that to was, the Red Wings media and social team. That's fantastic. That last one they put out was the best video the Red Wings have ever put out. <laughs> Raymond Lu- swears. Lu- yeah. Lucas, it's a kid's show. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was Evan. Yeah. I like. I loved Mo's reaction. Hey, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Mo, always, always looking out for the kids. And then Joe at the end. Oh, just quality video all the way around. Um, But yeah, no, Moritz Sider's... Everyone who's not a Red Wings fan who follows us on Twitter is going to end up unfollowing by the end of the year. They're going to be so sick of it. What's that one um, tweet from Tyler, the creator, that gets thrown yeah. around in these circumstances? It's like, it's like, this is all I've ever wanted. This is all I'm going to talk about for the next 10 years. Don't like it. Unfollow me now. I think I think his tweet says, like, uh, unfollow me now. This is the only thing I tweet about for the next week. I've wanted this for years. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much us every week with Cider and Raymond right now. So, Raymond, his goal going in, like, he, he's put that one in. He put that one in OT where he was right place, right time. He had a pretty much a goal that shouldn't have gone in against Toronto where – Mrazik should have stopped that. And another one where he was kind of right place, right time in the slot. Those are the kinds of things that I'm happy are starting to go in for him now because he's not been playing badly, but the results aren't pouring in like they were at the start of the year. This is a little bit of law of averages, and it's nice to kind of see that come together for him again. I don't think he's come to the point where he's firmly in the like Calder leading conversation. I think Cider firm like occupies that spot alone. But uh, yes, it is still Mo Sider and nobody else is close. Raymond's probably second right now. And then third's probably, I don't know, some guy collecting pension checks. <laughs> the bunting jokes. Old age so- security. Yeah. <laughs> the bunting jokes are so fun. Sarah uh, is so funny. <laughs> it's hysterical because I think he's like six months older than Alex Nadelkovic, who we've like, I think <laughs> we've had episodes on this podcast where we proclaimed his value in the Calder race as a technically a rookie. Um, but the bunting bunting isn't he's having a great year. He's doing really well in that line with, you know, two of the best players in the game and good for him for making what he's had of his career. I think he's behind Lundell and Zegris for, you know, top three. I don't know. Having a good Saturday night and then still getting to the country kitchen by 8 a.m. the next day. It's like, it's impressive. impressive. That's dedication. So if, if he doesn't get the rookie of the year, which he shouldn't, he should at least get the Masterton. <laughs> the Red Wings won. <laughs> this episode's off the rails. The Red Wings won. It, I was, everyone was running through their walls at home. Um, I looked at the schedule this morning and wish I hadn't because I realized the next two games are the next two games, which is the, the Florida tour. So if we're. And what we know about the Red Wings, they're going 2 0. And then they're losing to Arizona right after. That only counts if Evan says it. That's true. <laughs> now you say it because we know it's what's ha- we know what's happening. Now you've jinxed it. No, but the Red Wings have uh, before next episode. They have a Friday and then a Saturday game. Uh, Friday night Tampa- at Tampa Bay, seven p.m. Eastern, and Saturday six p.m. Eastern at Florida. So if we're six, yes. Why? If we are happy on Sunday, it will be 
a classic Red Wings road trip <laughs> and then get ready for Arizona next Tuesday. Um, any other notes from the Red Wings win over Carolina? They're still terrible in front of their own net. Yes. The Red Wings are. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think a map's going to help. We're going to need we're going to need Google in there trying to show them how to navigate and stay ne- orientated in front of their own net. There's no map. They're blind. Like it, some I, so it's I, it's so glaringly obvious and painful. They're very beatable defensively in front. Like there's well you were yes. saying before Pew Suter on the Austin Matthews goal was maybe the worst defensive coverage in the history of hockey. <laughs> and I I've watched. I think that might be a literal statement. Um, well, if they're having trouble finding it, like Evan says, like, do we give a contract to Dora the Explorer for at least a couple of years? Where's Bear Grylls? Do either of them shoot left? Because we have space. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just every time you watch the highlights, there's at least it feels at least one or half the goals scored by the opposing team or just missed assignments in front of the in and around the front of the net whether it be a forward just starts puck watching and somebody sneaks in behind him or one of the defensemen just well, nick letty last night got out in la la land again um it just it's the same song and dance every game there are maybe two given red wings defenders on any night that play defense well that's that's where the Red Wings are at. Mo Sider and then roll a dice. Yep. And like, okay, if we say Ronick had a good game, it's probably only offensively. If Ronick has, has been having a good game defensively, it's been like, okay, he's re- reached the sufficient standard of defense. He's not been some revelation defensively. Usually it's like Lindstrom who wasn't in the lineup or whoever might. Mark Stahl, superstar, comes, like, comes in and has one of his chaos games that's like, all of a sudden, he's a stalwart on defense and shuts down Connor McDavid or something. But they just have no one playing defense. And let's also point out, in your own zone, bad defense begets bad defensive assignments from your offensive players, right? Like, yes. if you're missing your mark and you're not where you need to be and you're not in the right play, like you're either going to have offensive play- your, your offensive line mates who are just naturally out of position because everyone's bunched up or they're trying to cover for your ass but they don't know where they're supposed to be and that's not to make an excuse for like Suter on the Matthews goal where it's like hey do anything other than what you just did and it would be better but it's just a it, it's a vicious cycle and it, it's a domino effect you can't throw everything off that's your zone you need to be running shit down there so yeah the Red Wings they're they haven't really looked good in that sense all year I think yeah, it's just the other teams. I don't even know what more to say about it. Like you, it happens every game, and every time you watch the highlights, there it is once again. Would you say what else is there to say? No. No. Oh, okay. Not yet. Okay. Not this episode. Apparently, <laughs> got it. Right. Yeah, we're not doing one this episode. Uh, it's also w- way more exposed when they're playing teams like this. Like against weaker teams in the league, you're going to get away with it quite a bit more because their offense isn't as dominant. I'll have to watch the opposing team's goals a little bit more closely then. Yeah. I mean, if it's Colorado or Toronto or Carolina, you'll notice it is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Maybe a little bit more. Let's talk here about a statistic that Prashant Iyer pulled up. And just as a reminder for everyone, Prashant's going to be doing things like this where either on the website or we might tweet it out or something, uh, Prashant's going to be putting together some um, 
little snippets or even longer form articles, depending on um, what the situation calls for. Uh, so he's going to be contributing to the Winged Wheel podcast, and we're really excited to have uh, Prashant aboard for that. And he's also going to be coming on the show plenty. He already does. Good friend of the pod. Prashant Iyer. At Iyer Prashanth. At Iyer underscore Prashanth on Twitter if you're not following, but I'm sure you are. So here are the goals for per 60 and goals against per 60 depending on whether Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider are on the ice for the power play. So both of them on the ice, goals for per 60, 8.81 versus goals against 0.42, which is... Seems good. Phenomenal. Like, that's fantastic. Uh, Lucas Raymond without Moritz Sider, there's not a lot of data there. And Moritz Sider without Lucas Raymond, that's still 6.07 goals for per 60 and nothing for goals against per 60. When neither of them are on the ice, and it's the power play for the Red Wings, their goals for per 60 is 2.18, less than a quarter of when they are on the ice. And that's not the worst part. Their goals against per 60 minutes of play, 3.63. That's definitely the worst part of all of of that chart. What an indictment. (laughs) The Red Wings are more likely to be scored on if they are on the power play, but without Raymond or Cider on the ice. And this isn't some, this isn't like a Blashill thing. Like, you know, Blashill plays Cider and Raymond literally as much as he humanly can on the power play for the most part. But for the second unit and anyone involved in that who isn't those, who aren't those guys, like they're players who are paired with them. Like you're going to see a lot of Larkin in there who's naturally going to follow those stats. But essentially the Red Wings second unit is a hindrance even when there is one fewer opponent on the ice if the red wings second unit played an entire game they with the lose. man advantage <laughs> they would lose that game three to two as the statistics statistics are right that now. is mind-boggling they are a we use the term negative value as a joke a lot they are an they they are a literal <laughs> negative value when they're on the power play if you want the cold, unforgiving imagery as to why the Red Wings still are not a true playoff or a true contending team. There it is. And if you want that in a, hey, I don't want numbers. I, I don't want numbers. Don't I don't I hate advanced stats. Okay, here's this. The Red Wings scored seven goals, lost by three that game. And at one point when they were within st- striking distance, they had the power play and they had Adam Ernie out on the ice. Is that when Toronto scored a shorthanded goal? Might have been, yeah. I, honestly, that that whole game was a painful and a blur, and I don't even – it's hard to think about it. And look, Adam Ernie over the past couple of years has had some streaks of of heat, and he's had quite a bit of – He's had a he's had, uh, streak. <laughs> but for the most – like, that's where the Red Wings are right now. That's That's really all they can do in terms of personnel. Again, like, I think the players could be doing better in terms of things like entering and – keeping the zone and things like that. But for the most part, they are not a power play unit with the personnel to perform well. And that's what's shown here. So that is both huge, like Raymond insider. Holy shit. There's only so many ways we can say that they're, they've been amazing and look, they still find new ways to tell us, but also the rest of the lineup there on the power play. Woof. There's a long way to go. Yep. That was a little somber. I'm sorry. Just had to share it. It was, it was very funny. <laughs> it's a microcosm of the whole team. Because again, they just beat Carolina. Top line played great. Third line played great. 
fourth line was surprisingly good and the second line still got absolutely caved. That's just when you don't have the depth and you that's what happens. So naturally it's amplified on the power play. Bertuzzi's cooled off a little bit. He was downright horrible last night. I'm very comfortable saying that. He's not been good for the past few games. No, maybe a couple. Um, I know that like that line got the Matthews assignment for a lot of the Toronto game, which sucks. Like that blows. I'm wondering if there shouldn't be like if that line doesn't pick it up, if this isn't the moment to kind of reshuffle again. I understand wanting Nemesnikov maybe near the top of the lineup for showcasing purposes. Um, you know, keeping Zadina with Valeno on the third line. So he's not hit whatever it might lead to, to have that chemistry, but you don't want to remove Bertuzzi from being a factor on your offense. He's going to go out and score four the next game right now. Now that we've said that, but if this continues, you'll want to move him maybe back into with some stronger line mates. I think I was ready to tweet going into overtime that I thought Bertuzzi had a poor game, but I'm like, no, if I tweet that the winning goal is absolutely going to bounce off his ass into the net and I'll look like an idiot. And sure enough, he got the primary assist on the winning goals. So I'm like, glad I didn't mention that and uh, harsh the buzz, but um, uh, it's, it's a cold streak. We've seen that that line can be extremely good. Um, and they've done it relatively recently. And the fact that the third line looked good is pretty exciting. So I'm not hitting the panic button yet. Yeah, I'm not panicking. I just think I just think if it persists and it it's like a hey, his line mates aren't really they aren't really able to play up and and make the most out of his game for extended periods of time, if not for just flashes, then then that's something where I'd want to address it. Um, okay, before the next topic here, actually, <laughs> Brad, you left last episode, and Evan and I made a boo-boo while talking about, there's an overtime question about um, who hypothetically would you trade Cider for one for one right now, other defensemen, and, and which was a tough question because it's like Cider has almost literally his entire career ahead of him, and he's very arguably a top 10 defenseman right now. So I think we ended up excluding Adam Fox and saying yes to Kale McCarr. And the difference was we think Kale McCarr's, you know, better, but more so that he has more of his career ahead of him. There's like nine months different in age. I thought it was like a year and a half, but it got pointed out by a few people that it's not that much of a difference. So boneheads. That's what happens when you go. Well, I agree with your take just for different reasons. You think McCarr's I just think McCarr's a lot better than Fox. Yeah, that's fair enough. The only Fox I like is Terry Fox. All right, man. Hey, man. <laughs> what about Star Fox? I stick by my point. Actual foxes are pretty dope. Have you heard the noise they make? Don't care. Cute as hell. No, like, that's what I thought, too, because they're like cats. But the noise they make is, like, horrific from hell. If they just took Fox noises and dubbed it over horror movies, you wouldn't know. Yeah, apparently that's like you know this. Do you know that from camping? Apparently, they make terrible noises out in the woods. <laughs> uh, no, I actually haven't heard them out in the woods camping. I've heard wolves, and I've yeah, heard, that would suck. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. Also, thought we heard a bear once. We saw a moose. That's also kind of scary because they're mm-hmm. huge. They're they massive. Don't give a shit about anything? No, they don't. It was uh, it was like an adolescent. We were like, oh, that's a cool statue of a moose. Oh, it moved. <laughs> Anyhow, 
Uh, all right, we're going to jump into the next topic here. But before we do that, we are going to talk to you about how this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook. They're a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement watching the game. They're easy to use from registration to deposits and finding your best bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. FanDuel pays your winnings back in as little as 24 hours. They're always running great odds boosts and specials every day with some big super boosts each weekend. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get the grand back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with that risk-free bet, and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IN in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. Okay, trade deadline talk. Um, the Red Wings are becoming involved in the trade deadline in different ways every year. They're not quite at the point where they're out of it as sellers. There's a few namely names that have popped up. Nick Letty, obviously one of them. We'll see if that's even a movable asset come trade deadline time because he is not. He's not looked great. Um, the other one being Vladimir Mesnikov, which, yes, technically speaking, he is probably the most tradable piece the Red Wings have. But in terms of feels, I want him to stay because he's a heart and soul player, loves playing Detroit, and it's been a blast watching him play here. Also remember that he could be dealt and come back in the offseason as a UFA. Uh, and Philip Sedina is popping up on them again, which is interesting. So it's Frank Saravalli who he posted in Philip Zedina is on that trade board there, I believe on yeah, Daily Faceoff. So... I know, Brad, you were pretty passionate about this. I'll let you open it up. It's not even a Philip Zadina thing. It's just an asset management thing. Um, I think we can all agree Philip Zadina is a better player than he's showing right now in terms of production. Philip Zadina is still young. He's only 22. So it's natural to think he's just uh, based on age curve. He's got some improvement to improvement ahead of him. He was a highly regarded prospect who's value as an asset has trended downward since he's got drafted because he is not filling the net with pucks. So when you're sitting there with a player who has a reasonable expectation of improvement, his value has dropped since you have acquired him. It feels like almost the worst time to trade him because the only way his value is ever going to be lower than it is right now is if he continues to regress, which is possible, don't get me wrong, I won't say likely. I think what Philip Zadina is right now is his floor. Like, there's not going to be any more regression. If he continues to be what he is now, okay, you have a usable middle six winger. If he gets better, well, there's a lot of exciting options there with Zadina's skill set. So you use the sixth overall pick on him, and at best, you maybe get a second round pick and a half-ass prospect for him right now. That's not a trade I make. I would much rather just put my money on the table in the sense of, yeah, he'll get better. Maybe he'll score 
40, 50 points next year. And that's way better value than what you are going to ever get out of a second round pick. There's the other option here, which is the change of scenery trade, which is, all right, let's find a similar player of a similar age with similar, similar struggles and just swap them and see if it works out for either of them. I know their ages are different and it's not the best. Ex- oh, actually, their ages are probably close. Might be the same, actually, like Owen Tippett from Florida. Both top 10 picks who are struggling and ex- there was more expected of them. Just flip them. See what happens. Maybe you get maybe one of the teams gets lucky. I don't love that idea. Um, you'd have to be trading Zadina for someone at a direct position of need in my mind. Like not that dissimilar to what Eisman did in Tampa with Druen. Um, they needed defense, so they flipped Druen, who had his, you know, off-ice issues with Tampa for Sergachev. And that trade worked out phenomenally for Tampa. Um, so if th- something like that is on the table, you definitely can't say no. But my point being, his value is really low right now, so it would not make any sense to trade him unless there is some team who is very eager to overpay for him, which doesn't generally happen in the NHL. Um, Okay, here's this. What if the Red Wings don't think Zadina is going to get a lot better than he is now? Then you trade him. And that's that's the calculus, right? We don't know because Eisenman doesn't tip his hand. And there's something to be said for Zadina's sudden promotion to the first line. I think it was the right thing to do to unlock parts of his game, but they could have done it much sooner. And they held off for periods of time where they really didn't need to. Like there was other guys who slotted in up there in case of injury or, you know, they're playing in Canada and Bertuzzi couldn't play, whatever. And they didn't put Zadina in. So the timing of him in the new year it's almost it almost does feel showcasey. That said, I, I I'm not confident in saying that 100. I'm just trying to consider all angles here because well, if, if we're showcasing players at the trade deadline, you'd think you would see Nick Letty with Mo Sider and probably give Nemesnikov some time on the top line. So <laughs> right, it, it's it doesn't not add up. And look, I I actually agree with you. Just just for the record here, I think we are seeing over this season the worst that Zadina will be. My hopes of a consistent top line winger are gone. I, I just don't think we can reasonably expect that of him. I would still like him to be an impactful second, maybe middle six player who does really well in the power play. Because if Zadina was half as bad a shooter as he was this year, we almost wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Like his shooting percentage is so freakishly low, even if it's, and I don't think it is, but even if it's not all bad luck, he can just do some. It's easy to say he can just work on it and it'll get better, but you have to imagine with some focus on his shot and changing, you know, changing the way he shoots, getting some deception in there, getting some quick angle changes, the release timing, where his wheelhouse is. That might be easier said than done, but that's just my personal opinion. If Eisenman and Blashill and the Red Wings pro scouting team and the development team and everyone involved thinks this this roller coaster ride is probably going to be Zadina for the rest of time and a lot of people right now still think that he could get better. And the longer we wait, the more we risk those those ambitions fading. Then maybe they are. Maybe they are trying to capitalize on that. You're not selling high, that's for sure. But you can't go back in time. So this this might be the best time to do it. The only r- way and reason you trade Zadina right now is exactly what you said. You just think his value is going to continue to plummet. And my argument, my pretty much only argument against that is, well, you're basically making a bet. Is this his peak or is this his floor? 
And based on everything we've seen out of Zadina over his career in juniors in the AHL and like shooting percentages notwithstanding, what we've seen in the NHL, it's a pretty hard bet to make. Because I'm I'm betting that there's going to be at least some improvement. If Philip Zadina turns into a 15-25 guy, that's going to be better than 90% of second round picks. Like just for value perspective, like it's worth noting. Like if you can turn Philip Zadina into a 40-point guy, that is plus value from what you are likely to get as a return for him right now. Again, if a team comes with a good enough offer, you obviously say yes, but I say that about every single player on the Red Wings. If a team comes in and is willing to massively overpay for an asset you have, you take it no matter who or what it is. If Edmonton walks up, you had the conversation about there's like one defenseman in the league that you would trade most Sire for. Well, if that team offered that player, you make the damn trade. Yeah. So like, I'm not saying don't trade him. I'm just saying the odds of getting good value for Phillips Zadina right now are extremely low. And I think that's what it boils down to. I think it's extremely low whether the Red Wings believe in Phillips Zadina's future or not. I I just, it's hard to get teams to pay up, especially, you know, IHL trade deadlines. It's either like it pops off three weeks before out of nowhere on like a random Thursday or you get like six guys traded within the last two minutes and one of them is a major deal. It's just really weird, the NHL, the way the NHL works. So, yeah. And there's a million circumstances that could happen between now. Like, not that this is a trade that would happen or either team's thinking about it, but hypothetically, Evan Bouchard just goes ice cold in Edmonton for the next month. And Ken Holland's like, yeah, we, we need to change the scenery. Red Wings are like, hey, we could, I guess we could use another defenseman. We got a lot of wingers, which isn't true, by the way. I'm just explaining the thought process. Okay, let's just flip them. And from a value perspective from both teams, it makes sense because these are two very skilled players who should be over, who should be performing better than they are. But yeah, those types of trades admittedly are pretty rare. And a mess. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. The one that I did see, I don't know how ages line up that someone pointed out to me that actually did make some sense, but I don't think the other team would be willing to do it. Uh, so if you're looking for positions of need for the Red Wings, they're not going to get a center for Phillips Zadina. So let's just get that right out of everybody's head. So the natural option would be a left shot D on a struggling team with a player having a confusingly down year. Zadina for Provorov, something like that. Again, value. I don't think Philly does it. The value is not there, but like that's something along the lines of what you would want to see in a Zadina trade. Okay, Nemesnikov, top line, Letty, top pairing. Auditioning? I don't think so. No? No. Nemesnikov has played well enough to get some stints on it. And Nick Letty hasn't played well at all, but there aren't any better options. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah. And playing Nemesnikov on the top line allows you to play Bertuzzi on the second with the Guelph line. It allows you to have Zadino with Rasmussen on the wing and Valeno as the center, which I think is important. And it's it's worth noting too, we always take the doom and gloom look whenever someone gets demoted. And I'm not saying this is true, but it could be. Zadina showed pretty well in his audition in the top line. Like he played well, got a couple goals out of it. Yeah, he did. Um, I thought he looked this good. could be Blashill saying, hey, I'm going to put Zadina down on the third line to get the third line going. Yeah. Which, let's be honest, worked. Yeah, it, this could be just as much of an elevation of Joe Valeno, kind of. Yeah, because like Valeno displaced Rasmussen as the third line center, which isn't nothing. And then when they did that, they brought a quote unquote top line player down to play with them, 
which now Valeno's got a really good support system on his wings between Zadina and Rasmussen. Like I said, it, it's viewed as a demotion, but it could be the exact opposite. It could be a testament to Zadina's game. And with Letty, it could be, hey, if Mo Sider could keep Danny to Kaiser afloat, maybe Mo Sider can get Nick Letty back to being the old Nick Letty. Or it could be, hey, Mo's tired. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get him with anybody else. Yeah. When your when your difference is, you know, you're playing him with a guy that's not been playing well, but at least it's not the what Danny DeKaiser has been doing on the ice. That is a pretty big testament to what's been happening. Yeah. Okay. Last topic here um, before overtime. The invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia has had profound effects across the world and i'm you know the obvious thing is the horrors and tragedy that are going on in ukraine right now but i mean the response globally has been profound immense Un, like it's it's unseen they're getting totally canceled surprisingly united yeah yes and we said last or whenever we talked about it last that this was going to have a spillover effect into sports um before I get into hockey here, even FIFA, FIFA on the second attempt, on the second attempt, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure the guy who heads up FIFA is pretty cozy with the Russian oligarchs. Um, they, you know, wiped Russia and Belarus out of international competition. Everything. Happy to see Belarus is getting lumped in here. They deserve it too. Yeah, I mean they were pretty. They've been pretty loud about it. It's yeah, yeah. Anyhow. The following are some things that have been happening across the NHL, IIHF, and CHL. So the NHL put a statement, you know, obviously condemning the invasion of Ukraine, urging peaceful resolution as quickly as possible. Effective immediately, the NHL suspended relationships with uh, business partners in Russia, pausing Russian language social and digital media sites, in addition, discontinuing any consideration of Russia as a location for any future competitions. They also had a really good note in there, I felt. Um, and I'll quote it here. We also remain concerned about the well-being of players from Russia who play in the NHL on behalf of their NHL clubs and not on behalf of Russia. We understand they and their families are being placed in an extremely difficult position. I'll come back to that. The double IHF, which actually went first, convened in an extraordinary meeting on Monday, February 28th. They suspended all Russian and Belarusian national teams and clubs for, from participation in every age category in all International Ice Hockey Federation competitions or events until further notice. Withdrawal of the 2023 IIHF World Juniors from Russia. Um, and then there's a bunch of events that this would impact in 2022 in 2023 they're also moving an event that was in finland in helsinki in a russian-owned arena by one of the oligarchs to a different arena over there there's just a bunch of spillover stuff that's an absolute i i was gonna say bomb but that's no, so it's a, bad it's but that is show. an absolute like yeah scorched earth they again like brad was said that better <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> like brad said like this is a united response in every way this is what I've seen from other organizations. I think the FIA, which is what controls a lot of uh, professional motorsports and thus Formula One, they did something similar. They pulled the Russian Grand Prix away from uh, Russia, away from Russia. And they, I think it was drivers, Russian drivers are still allowed to 
drive individually for their teams, but you know, not under their flag or something to that regard. Now, you know, British Motorsports said they're not going to allow any Russians or Belarusians in, which means already one F1 driver. It's a complicated situation. His daddy is an oligarch, and so he really shouldn't be in the Formula One anyways. That all to me, like, whatever. The CHL, and this is where I think nuance is key. The CHL is... Yeah, the CHL reacted like your drunk uncle at a holiday party. I think they they caved to a lot of pressure because uh, Dan Milstein tweeted, um, you know, at 3 p.m. Eastern, the Canadian Junior Hockey League... Uh, CHL will announce that Russian and Belarusian 16 and 17 year olds would be banned from the upcoming draft. So the import draft, the next import draft wouldn't have Russians and Belarusians. This to me is wrong for a couple of reasons. I don't, first of all, that's playing into Russia's favor. They want to keep all of their talent over there anyway. So it's like, you're not doing any harm, even if this was the right thing to do. Secondly, I think it's a, you can't, just ban people for being Russian. I don't think that's right. I think if they're representing it, like if they are playing under the Russian flag, like if this was a Russian club team out of Russia or a Russian national team, yeah, I think we everyone has made the right call. You ban them. But I, I personally disagree that the Russian players individually should be banned for competing with individual clubs that aren't, you know, the Barry Colts have nothing to do with Russia. The Sarnia Singh have nothing to Some do with Russia. Some 14-year-old kid living in the middle of nowhere Russia who has no stake in this at all has nothing to do with any of this. Yeah. And and I'm not saying there are athletes who aren't – like look at Ovechkin's profile pictures with Putin and he's been an outspoken supporter. Like that that is all stuff where I think they're being questioned and I think it's very fair to ask them those questions. But that's all stuff that – They're it, adults. Well, it, it's fair to litigate in the media – but so long as they're not participating under in like a national sense, like if they're not playing for a national team. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I just don't th- it's I hate saying this, but it's a slippery slope. Where do you draw the line? And I just don't think it's right. All right. Time for me to put on my political science and sociology degree hat, which oh, I definitely have both. You're taking off your uh, microbiology and immunization yeah. uh, PhDs for yeah. a moment. Yes. Yeah. We're on to my third and fourth uh, majors here. Well, we can log off. Brad's got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> that I so I'll start by saying there's no right or wrong answer here. I Everybody can make their case for either side, and there's going to be a lot of valid points there. I'm going to play contrarian just for the sake what? of it. No, on this podcast, <laughs> yeah, just just for the to the other other side of it because I don't know which side I fall on. If I'm being honest, so I'll, fair. I'll just present the other side. The way, one of the ways that this ends poorly for Putin is if his own country turns against him. One of the way you turn his own country against him is you make their lives miserable as much as that sucks. You prevent junior hockey players from going and doing what they want. You prevent, you know, the economy tanks, everything gets bad there, which is going to happen with all the sanctions, right? It already is. The yeah, ruble is worth less than an American penny right now. I Roblox think yeah. currency is worth more than a ruble. Yeah. Shut up. So, yeah. <laughs> so it sucks for the people in Russia and I'm not saying it doesn't, and I'm not saying they deserve it. They absolutely don't. I a minority of people in Russia probably support what's going on in you just can't Ukraine. say it out loud there yeah mass arrests and whatnot. exactly so at no point am I blaming the Russian people for any of this 
But if enough people get angry with what's going on in their country and how Putin's destroying their country, that's how revolutions start. That's how change is made. He, I don't, I don't know how he gets ousted, but if the entire country turns against him, it could happen. How do you turn the entire country against him? Like I said, you piss him off. If this family who's super excited for their 16-year-old hockey prodigy wants to go play hockey in Barrie, Ontario, because that's the best option for him, and he can't, now that family's pissed. If all these Russian NHL players can't go back and visit their family, and they're being ostracized in the media, and they're getting a billion questions every time they step within 100 feet of the camera, it sucks. Like, it's not fair to them. Oh, I'm not one of the people who says, yeah. like, stop asking them questions. Yeah. I, I'm no, going to read out something after yeah, you're done. But Yeah. My, my whole point being is if you basically turn Russia into this island of misery and you don't let anybody out, I, I get the logic there as to how, as to why you do that in a circumstance. It's the same thinking like the, as with the financial sanctions. Exactly. And again, I don't know which side I fall on here, but that would be the argument against what you were saying is just, yeah, let them over. But then sure, it's great for these people and the rest of the country suffering. Is this going to change it? And like, hey, you said it before we start recording. Putin's a hockey fanboy. Take hockey away from him. Make, Make the Russian hockey program one of the worst in the world for the major powers and see what happens. You know. I, I'm going to tread into these topics very lightly because it's sensitive and it, not that, you know, I'm, a, I'm afraid of talking about anything of substance, but it's just, I, I want to respect what we can actually speak to semi semi Oh yeah. Sorry. I forgot to take my uh, college hats off. <laughs> right. Thank you. Yeah, um, there you go. This has been done in the past and I believe it was South Africa and that's how they, they pressured South Africa to end apartheid. And a lot of it mm-hmm. was sporting things like this, but there was also a world uh, within like people are still alive when this was ha- when this was happening or people are still alive now from when this was happening back then where people were sent to camps based on their nationality mm-hmm. where we live in North America and i think we just need to be very careful here about how we frame people just because what their passport says or where they're from i'm not saying everyone has the you know everyone is just oh i wish putin wasn't doing this and i am completely against putin but I, whatever, like, of course, there are Russians who are pretty outspoken Putin supporters, but that's not what this is about. And actually, I want to read out something from uh, Rick Westhead, who continues to be a phenomenal reporter. He tweeted out, uh, I've connected with, I've connected about Russia's war in Ukraine with a number of NHL player agents who have Russian clients. Advice they are all giving players is to be careful. Russian parliament is considering new a new law that could mean up to 15 years in prison just for spreading quote unquote, fake news about the war. And this is the same government who has arrested, you know, allegedly thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people for protesting in Russia about it. Their families are back there. I don't care if it's Artemi Panarin who's been anti-Putin in the past or or Alex Ovechkin who's been pro-Putin in the past or someone in the middle, someone who does not give a shit and just wants to play hockey. The, there are very real human impacts And just because they're your favorite hockey player and they show up, you know, on ESPN, NHL and ESPN, and they scored a goal and you have their jersey doesn't mean they don't have families who could be harmed or worse back in Russia or Belarus or wherever. This is real and it's raw and it's scary. And I think 
I think you make a very salient point, Brad. It's complicated and it's hard to find the right decision. I think some of the, the decisions that have been made are excellent, but I personally, I think the CHL make, is making the wrong calls here. There's like the devil's advocate argument that they're only doing this because they know the visa issues and everything is going to be a nightmare anyways, or they think they're wagering that this is going to be resolved by then. I don't know. I don't know. But I think, you know, without, with the very obvious point of you don't lose sight of the, the horrific tragedies that are happening and injustices that are happening in Ukraine right now, we have to be very careful here about, you know, what we decide about people just because of where they're from. And it's probably worth pointing out too, because yeah, I don't think the OHL is doing anything here because they think that's the right or the wrong. Sorry. Yeah. The CHL is doing anything here because they think it's right or wrong. I think they're doing it because they got pressured into it. But when you actually look at how many Belarusians and Russians are in the CHL, it's a very small number. So they're probably thinking, yeah, we're unfairly screwing over like 20 kids. It's it's a loud statement though. Like it's it's, it's like it's now yeah, it's the, the optics of it. Right? That's my point. They're like the message this will send is big relative to the small amount of players this actually will affect. And again, I feel awful for the kids who it's gonna affect. It's not fair to them. None of it's fair to them. It sucks. And uh, like I said, there is no right or wrong answer here because you can go, yeah, well. Should this 16-year-old not get to play hockey wherever he wants because of what his dictator's doing? No, of course not. But should thousands of or hundreds of or thousands of Ukrainians die because of what the dictator's doing? Also, no. And how do you stop that from happening? And if this is a piece of that puzzle, then yeah, you have to do it. And again, I don't know what the right answer is here. And I don't think there is a right answer here. I think it's you put the pieces together as best you can and pray. Which, NHL statement was good. NHL, I I was for a league that releases the most vanilla, <laughs> like generalized statements of all time. That was really good. I thought you could ask them to count to ten. You give them a cheat sheet for the first nine rum, nine numbers, and half the time they get the, the, the tenth wrong. And that was a I thought a flawless approach by them. I loved the way the NHL approached that. You're absolutely right. I think it was the perfect balance of not softening anything just because they have Russian players or to stay out of it. I think they called a spade a spade, but they were also very real about, you know, these are people and we are concerned for their safety in a different sphere here. Well, that was geopolitics on the Wing wheel podcast. I think I saw CCM wasn't going to use their Russian players, their yeah. sponsored players and advertisements as well anymore. <laughs> Which is notable because Ovechkin's one of their has been one of their poster boys for a long, long time. Hey, you know what? That's actually something where, to me, that's a, that. Despite what my opinion that I just stated, that's a gray area where I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty okay with that. Yeah, players still get their sponsorship dollars, but it, you know, masks them from public. I mean, they're superstars in their league, so it doesn't really mask them. But you know, they're not on billboards saying, "Hey, buy this hockey stick." Here's Alexander Ovechkin, kind of thing. Yeah, and then they go look him up on Instagram. There's him with Vladdy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, unfortunately, more on that to come. And I know we have moments of levity here, and we make a joke here or there, but uh, shouldn't take away from from how serious this is. So, let's get into overtime. Uh, overtime on this it's wednesday oh i thought it was sunday for most of this episode overtime on this wednesday episode of the winged wheel podcast is brought to you exclusively by our patreon supporters um and can we just say patrons 
I know we say it all the time, but genuinely thank you all so much. Um, the outpouring of support that you showed us over the past few years, and especially, I, I mean, another hockey shutdown in December. When we say you're the reason we're able to do, do this show, that's not a line that we just rattle off. That is a very real thing. And Brad, Evan, and I talk about that off air all the time. We don't make this to seven years. You know, we don't make this the biggest wings podcast. We don't make it to winged wheel podcast night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. We don't make it to any of that without you. Um, you're the reason we're able to do that. So thank you all so much. Um, winged wheel podcast. Damn it. Patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to join the dub dub club. Um, and if you do, there's a special promotion going on right now where if you are a patron and you're at the, uh, winged wheel podcast night at the LCA, you get one free insult to Brad Crisco. So you can have Evan or I there with you and you get to just insult. Wait, them. They're free there. What, does, does that imply that at some point I should have been charging for these? No, not you, Evan and I, okay. yeah. it all goes to, uh, the winged wheel podcast you know, hire writers to write more jokes about Brad fund. Should we put out the alert for March madness coming up? So 17,000 people don't message you asking them, where's the, the pool. You're the March madness. Are tell them about it. Well, it's not set up yet, <laughs> but it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. March. This madness is the most coming. I looked at it and it was like cancel or renew the league. And I didn't know how that would like, if it would auto generate all the old teams, I was like, I'll just start a new one. Yeah. So that is on the books to get set up very shortly. I thought we would do prizes for the top three. Because yeah. I'm sure there'll be more than three people. In Winner it. gets uh, an Evan Lobsinger signed basketball. That'll be a why point. anyone would want that. Okay, I you do not play basketball. No. Yeah. What makes you think that? <laughs> um, I don't know what the prize will be, but if there's like I don't know how many people will join, but top three probably. Yeah, would be cool. It's a lot of fun. We I. I keep forgetting we didn't do one last year. I know. It's, I hate. I liked March Madness because it's such a departure from like just hockey stuff. It was a fun to like dabble in something else. But um, the prize will be good. We'll make the top prize something really, really good. I think a Cade Cunningham jersey signed by Mo Sider. Uh, okay, let's make it stuff that we. Can. <laughs> First of all, if we get that, I'm framing it. We're putting it in the studio. <laughs> Secondly, um, something doable. But I mean, jersey is. I think what we've option. done is the overall winner, the person with the most correct picks as well um second and third and second points. or third or something like that yeah. there'll be plenty of stuff we'll think of something good i think i made it to three games before i got one wrong one year <laughs> um patrons the the uh will the tiers will describe who can enter that one so uh stay tuned okay time for some questions nick geyer uh, says, I'm sure much of the episode uh, talked about the entertainment value of the last couple of games, Raymond and Larkin's goals, etc. But what needs to be talked about is how Ranta played an incredible game. If Zadina had simply carried Madame Zeroni up that hill, it would have been 6-3. <laughs> I love a holes reference. Me too. Um, what did he pickle again? Was it pickled onions? It or, was, or no? It, was, it wasn't pickled. It was just, on, it was like sweet onions. Sweet right onions? Yeah. <laughs> I love onions. <laughs> I mean, I love onions, but when they take a bite of a f- sweet onion, that disgusts me. This is my hell. Have you watched, re- read that book or watched that movie? No. Really? And now, and now I never will. Thank no, you for that. come on. No, you got to nope. watch Holes. Nope. It has one of the best I mean, Shia LaBeouf raps yeah, of all time. Yeah. It's in my head. It's been in my head for 20 years. Re- I, no, can't I do don't it. know what the Red Wings would have to do for me to take a apple-sized bite out of an onion but it would be have to be remarkable 
would would you puke watching him do that watching him no i'd be fine you'd smell the onion i smell the onion everywhere i go red wings win the draft lottery would you take a bite of that onion uh, anyone here i would i do it right now for no reason <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're so disappointed. Well, oh, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> I just watched my friendship bar decrease on Evan's mind. <laughs> if uh, if it would guarantee the Red Wings Shane Wright, would you take a bite of an onion? No. Traitor. No. Wow. Wow. Multiple, it needs to be multiple draft lotteries before I even consider what? it. Multiple. Okay, they win the they win the the Connor Bedard. Come on, you guys don't you guys gotta know how negotiations work. I'm negotiating <laughs> with the universe here. Amateurs. They win Connor Bedard. Bedard. It's Bedard, man. Bedard. I'd probably do it for Bedard. Okay. Red, if anyone if anyone in Red Wings social team is listening, please make note of this so we don't forget. Because if and when the Red Wings win Bedard, I w- I, you are eating that onion on air. A bite. A bite. A big bite. I'll though. take a bite, too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll Whatever. do it. A bite. It's, I'm sure it won't be as bad as when Evan had to eat an entire pineapple, but... That is uh, it part will, of the lore of this podcast. And your esophagus is still suffering from that one. Yeah. And you are par- paying for my therapy after that. Yeah, that's, that's to be expected. That's fair. Okay, thank you. Um, Cody Stark asks, is Carter Rowney the definition of your perfect fourth liner? No, absolutely not. He's he's decent. He's a fine fourth liner to me. He's a quintessential guy. My fourth liner is someone on a cup contending team who does what Darren Helm did back in the day. And I understand that he wasn't always on the fourth line. Like, actually, I don't think he was on the fourth line very much. He was playing a much bigger role at times. But my perfect fourth liner is someone who still makes an impact on the ice and isn't just not a liability. Chris Draper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, real meat and potatoes, lunch pail kind of guy. Is that going away in the NHL? Is you need more room for skilled players? Maybe. But more and more you see playoff teams and teams when it, it comes down to a game of inches. You said, Evan, like, the game is won in that like three by three box that battles are are played in. Those guys come out and and move the margins a little bit. Winged wheels. And, oh, that was very boomer of me. Winged wheels and steering wheels says, assuming they're on the opening night roster next season, what are Bergeron and Edvinson's rookie expectations compared to Raymond and Siders? Don't do that to them. Yeah. Don't not even going down that. <laughs> what Sider and Raymond are doing right now. You can't, ever expect any other rookie to come in and do what they're doing unless they're like a first overall pick like i came into this season like if mo sider puts up 30 points and raymond puts up 40 those are phenomenal rookie seasons for them they've already broken it both of them like i would have even lower expectations for Berger and, and edvinson so um <laughs> kodak black's date says <laughs> Hey guys, just looking at cap friendly today and boy, oh boy, the wings are going to have to spend like close to 20 million just to get to the floor next season. Uh, We know Eisenman is going to try to pull in Arizona and take the high cost short term players, but what else can they do to avoid trapping themselves by signing free agents to long term high cost deals? I think it's prime time to start the offer sheet season. I know this is a complex question, but just wanted to hear your thoughts like four months in advance. Thanks as always. I don't, I can't think of any good offer sheet candidates in this upcoming off season off the top of my head. Like last summer was a bit of an aberration because there were so many. I can't imagine there's many this year. Also the Red Wings have a bunch of RFAs as well, who are going to need contracts, which is going to chip into that 20 million. Yeah, well, I mean, not that I think it's going to be pricey, but assuming he's still on the team, Phillips Zadina, 
Um, Mitchell Stevens is going to be an RFA, and those are the only two RFAs that are coming up next year. That's it? Still, they're probably going to eat up like three to four mil between them. So then you're only looking at 15 to 16 mil. They have a ton of UFAs, though. Yeah. Which leads into... And some of them will come back. They're not letting every single UFA walk. Join the Dark Sider says, which UFAs, uh, which we aren't going to trade, the Kaiser, uh, are going to walk in the offseason. Side note, I texted someone else if they wanted to go to the Winged Wheel podcast night, and my phone auto-corrected it to WAP night. See you there. Wings and pizza. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the Red Wings upcoming UFAs, Vlad Nemesnikov, Sam Gagne, Carter Rowney, Nick Letty, Danny DeKaiser, Mark Stahl, Troy Stetcher, Thomas Grice, uh, Riley Barber, who's on injured reserve. I think Stahl will be back. I think Gagne will be back. I think if they don't trade him, Nemesnikov will be back. Rowney's brought value. I could see bringing him back, although I think that's less likely. I'd put him at a 50-50. I think that's it. You said stall. Yeah. I would bring back Stetcher, but I don't think they will. No. I I hope Stetcher gets moved just so there's some value retained on him because I don't get the sense that he has a long-term future with the team. No, even though he's good, but yeah. He looked good when he was healthy right at the start. And then it's just kind of been injury. Yeah. Once the injuries piled up, he became guy. Because like, what was it? Right before his injury, the injury started by, I forget, one of the more prominent defensive metrics. He was the 17th best defenseman in the league. He was doing real well for for a while there. Yeah. He was not just doing well. He was doing phenomenal. And then, yeah, once the injuries derailed it all. Uh, Matt T says, non-Raymond question but why doesn't Hiroshi get more attention career AHLer after his good start in Detroit and now leading Grand Rapids in in points I wanted to see him get more run I didn't expect much of him but he was a guy who could adequately fill in on the third line and probably would be their best if not second best player on the second power play unit right now so I was very pro at least give him more of a runway than they did, but he's small and not quick and not physical, which always means he has an uphill battle in the NHL. Yeah. He, his game doesn't translate into undoubted everyday NHLer. Yeah. His five on five, uh, value is none. <laughs> that said, if they had him in, in place of pick whatever the worst fourth liner is on any night, would you see a massive difference in the team? No. And, and I agree. I think there's, small pockets of play like in the power play where he would actually be a big benefit because of his skill level um the the ahl is easier for him to get away with those deficiencies that brad just mentioned which is why his skill shines a bit more yeah. i will say though i'm i have very few criticisms in eisman's like stint with detroit since he's come back but he does seem to give up on players certain players quicker than i would like my personally and obviously he knows way more than i do so i can't say much but Obviously, like I said, I would have liked Hiroshi to get more runway. I would have liked more consistency with Chalosky in Detroit. And like, not that it's nothing, but you know who's having a really strong season right now? Evgeny Svechnikov in Winnipeg. So Is he still going? He's got goals in three or four straight games right now. Hmm, good for him. Yeah, I love Svech, so I'm happy to see him do well. And I, I never understood why they just let him walk. But you know what? Eisenman's aggressive in turning over the roster. So if this is the side effect of his plan... Like, fine. Like, we're not losing stars here, but... It's in the margins here. Exactly. Six goals, nine assists in 44 games or something. Does that count? Is that a nice six goals, nine assists? Oh, 
Right. Oh, Evan, you missed it. Come on, man. It was right. I was like adding it, adding it up in my head. I was like, oh, that's not good. Like 13, 14. Oh, I got to start over. Yeah. Uh, rolled. Ran out of fingers. <laughs> rolled says, good day, dead duds. Word on the street is that Lucas Raymond, a.k.a. hashtag forehand Luke, is the greatest winger named Luke to ever play for the Red Wings. Can you confirm what many are saying? More and more people are saying it. It's, uh, We're just going to let that rolled comment slip. Why? What's didn't the, someone call you rolled on Twitter? I saw that and I died. Did they? Yeah, I didn't. I must have missed it. Can you just say Stuart? Were they being funny or? I don't understand there, this at all. There, are, there, are, you have similar characteristics. Overall, oh, oh, yeah. oh, okay. To who? Uh, rolled. What is that? You don't watch Letterkenny. So yeah, it's a character uh, from the. It actually took me a while to clue in. My Letterkenny understanding is developing over time. I need I need to do a full watch through. Yeah. Um, but yes, Rowan did call me rolled, and yeah. it was. You don't look like rolled, but I get it. <laughs> I get it. I understand what you're saying, and it upsets me that I can't contest it more than I want to. <laughs> look, how many goals does uh, Luke Robitaille have this season, and how many goals does? Lucas Raymond have ipso facto best Luke. To Luke play. Robitaille played one season with Detroit. Yes. And does Lucas Raymond already have more points as a Red Wing than Luke Robitaille did? I, I think it's probably close. Luke Robitaille played two seasons with the Red Wings oh, okay. and amassed 81 points in those two seasons. So Lucas Raymond's on pace. Yeah. His points per game is better as a Red Wings better than Luke Robitaille's was. He scored 50 points in his first year with Detroit. So um, age, age aside, yeah, I know, because Luke Robitaille had a huge advantage there. Yeah. Oh, my God. He, he wasn't a teenager. He wasn't even a point-per-game player. He only has 668 goals in 726 games and fourteen or SS in 1,431 games. Terrible. What a scrub. <laughs> One of the greatest. A few weeks after we put him as the best left-winger in Team Canada history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a big Luke Robitaille fan. People shouldn't sleep on him. Who doesn't like Luke Robitaille? Yeah. I forgot about 0203. Everything after 0102, like that let Everybody season. forgot about 0203 yeah. as we should. As we should. The only good thing that came out of 0203 was Henrik Zetterberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We're going to be back with you on Sunday. Um, appreciate you all tuning in. Um, again, patrons, thank you more than I could possibly find words to say. Uh, all of our listeners, we appreciate you. If you want to support the show in other ways, um, Give us a five-star rating if you want to on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen. Um, it really, really does help. Uh, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, the FanDuel Sportsbook, and all of our listeners, especially our name-level sponsors on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Kyle Karagitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey. Ty- uh, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong. Taylor Tagel, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Boos Lobsinger, Lobsinger, Carl Brutanen and Oluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Matt McKay, R.A., Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, Brad's Potty Mouth, 
Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stahl, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Shitty Shitty Bang Bang, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so, so very much. We appreciate you. Get your Winged Wheel podcast tonight at the LCA Tickets. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.